HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. HRN sixth time at Charleston Wine and Food. I'm Dylan Hoyer, and today we are doing live interviews from the heart of the Culinary Village. This morning, we're welcoming three chefs who are all participating in the Street Eats event this evening, which will be celebrating Asian food and culture. First, we have Sam Four, a first-generation Sri Lankan-American chef from Lexington, Kentucky. She started her pop-up took her pop-up Tuk Tuk Sri Lankan Bites in 2016. After traditional Sri Lankan brunches at her home outgrew her dining room. Tuk Tuk is one of the few representations of Sri Lankan cuisine in the U.S. and reflects Sam's Sri Lankan upbringing in the American South as well. Sam, welcome. Hello. Tell us what you'll be serving at the Street Eats event tonight. I am doing a very traditional Sri Lankan dish, actually. I, I did not infuse the South into this one. I'm doing a dish called kotharoti, which is, translates to chopped bread. And so it is a chicken curry with a bunch of vegetables and egg chopped up with flatbread. And it's basically the best drinking food you can ever have. I'm about to get so hungry during this interview. (laughs) We also have Chef Lynn Hobart here. She was born in South Korea and saw an opportunity to bring some new flavors to the Charleston food scene and started the Seoul Oz Korean Fusion food truck. Welcome and tell us what you'll be preparing tonight. Um, So I'm going to be doing um, authentic Korean corn dogs. I'm going to do a ramen and a classic. Um, I really saw a, a need for more street food like this down in Charleston. I'm from New York City originally and it's huge up there. Um, so I'm super excited to be here and kind of bring some new flavors and meet some great people. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, we have Chef Jihae Kim, who was recently named a semi-finalist for the James Beard Foundation's Outstanding Chef Award. Congratulations. She is the chef owner of the acclaimed Miss Kim in Ann Arbor, where her seasonal menu is inspired by ancient Korean culinary traditions and adapted with local Midwestern ingredients. Welcome, and what will you be making tonight? Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I will be making Korean baby bag ribs with um, fennel and apple kimchi to go with it with a little bit of shrimp paste. I think it would be really delicious. It's really good drink food. Good with beer. So delicious. So (laughs) you're all known for your fusion food in one way or another, incorporating local ingredients. Can you guys each tell us about one dish on your menus that really encapsulates the way that you think about fusion food? 
I mean, for me, it was it was definitely the revelation with the fried chicken. You know, it's fried chicken is everywhere. Everyone has a fried chicken. Everyone kind of has their way. Sri Lankans typically devil it. It's very hot. It's like small cubes, super spicy, and I knew that wouldn't be an easy crossover dish in the south. But buttermilk fried chicken wasn't giving me the flavor I wanted. So if I put everything that I put into my typical chicken curry into buttermilk and then marinate my chicken in it, all of a sudden my chicken actually takes me on a journey. And so it's it's really like a trial and error of finding the right flavors that work together. But ultimately, I want to introduce people to my favorite bites in a very approachable way. Awesome. And what about you? Can you share one of your fusion dishes with us and sort of the story behind it? I mean, I predominantly do sell the Korean corn dogs, and I just, like I said, I took a trip up to New York City last year and just saw, you know, so many people wanting them here. Like, I put it out on a post, and I was doing a couple pop-ups in Charleston, and literally everyone just, like, flocked. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize how much Charleston was craving um, different food. They could eat quickly, but also have a ton of flavors. Um, I do a Korean slaw. I do japchae. Um, so I just try to bring some new, introduce some new flavors here, um, like sweet and savory components and super yummy, but also things that I think people will be open enough to try. And once they get in the door, kind of gain their trust with that. But uh, yeah. yeah. What about you? Well, the two of my biggest inspiration is like a Korean culinary tradition. And I like to look at like what my ancestors cooked like 200 years ago, 300 years ago, because I want to understand the story of a whole dish. And then I like to use local ingredients, and I work really closely with Michigan farmers, because if my great-great-great-great-mother landed in Michigan, she wouldn't be shipping stuff from Korea. She'll be using whatever's the cheapest in season from a local farmer. So one of the dishes that I love on the menu is tteokbokki, which is sautéed rice cakes. And it's known now as a quintessential street food. And I did grow up eating, eating it off the street from street vendors. But when I look at the story of the dish, it started as a really rich um, palace cooking dish and had a lot of different vegetables and meat in it. It was, um, it was very uh, uh, bountiful dish. So we do a several iterations of it. We do the Royal Palace version. That's one of my favorite. And we, instead of using what is documented to have been in that dish, I like to use local Michigan vegetables. So like you would get like foraged mushrooms or, or the sugar beets or candy cane beets, and it's just beautiful dish. And then we also have the street version with the gochujang and then uh, really like runny yolk. So I would say that one. And I want to say an anecdote is that all of my Korean friends are like, oh, no, no, American people don't like rice cakes. Nobody's going to buy that dish. But I want to tell you it's one of the most popular menu items uh, in, the, in the restaurant. That always happens, though. They're always. like, they're never going to like the spicy stuff. They're yeah. never going to. They love it. Yeah, if it's good, they love it. Trying to bring something new. You know, you want to use Sri Lankan food. You feel it's uh, a genre of food that people aren't as familiar with here and in the South. So, I mean, do you feel like food is something that can help us to communicate better or sort of like break down barriers to us? You know, what meaning do you put behind that? I mean, we have a couple universal languages at our disposal at this point. We've got music and we've got food. 
And I kind of love the food aspect because everyone's got to get together around a table at some point. At some point in every culture, there is a moment of gathering around food. And I think that's one of the most important things to retain, especially in a time like now where everything's so uncertain and it feels like the world's on fire. At least if we all have each other and we're serving food together, we know that we have a moment of joy. And you too, as you're trying to really focus on bringing new flavors to Charleston and people have reacted so positively, what else would you like love to see in the food scene here and what would you love to bring in if you could? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I just see so much opportunity because Charleston is becoming so progressive now and I absolutely love it. And I see more and more people coming in and doing different flavors, Indian, Asian, whatever it may be. And I think it's always a learning curve for me as well. I was adopt, I was an Asian adoptee, um, adoptee myself. So food, finding out through food, through my own culture, has really helped me kind of bond with that side of myself. Um, and I just hope to, I really, my long-term goal is to really partner with a lot of charities locally here in Charleston and kind of incorporate food and other adoptees into that. And that has just been such a passion of mine. That's like a, you know, a pretty like, not long-term, but hopefully this year I'm looking to partner and do something like that. So that's, yeah. What a beautiful vision. Yeah. And Chef Jihei, you also are somewhat mission-driven in your work. From what I've read, you know, you've done training programs with the James Beard Foundation surrounding equity and inclusion. Tell us how you're bringing some of those values into your own restaurant. Well, I think that we are very seasoned professionals. We come with many soft skills that corporate America really wants, but we do not treat our own people like we're career professionals. So I think it comes to treating them right, paying them living wage and more, having full benefits and things like that. I think it's very important, and we do live by that. And I think... um, you know, sometimes I get questions like, how do you feel like being so proud, representing your culture? And what I eventually want to see is that I just want to be. I just want to be. I don't want to be representing an entire country to another country or be a representation of one culture or what the media wants to see me representing. I think it's okay to see different variations. So it's okay to be Korean. It's okay to be immigrant. It's okay to be uh, Michigander. It's okay to be American. And I think the more specific the story becomes about my personal journey, and I think that opens door to different uh, kind of Korean food. So it's not diverse enough just to be Korean food. There is a stigma that Korean American food is somewhat not authentic as Korean food. And I think that's a false Uh, assumption that's false dichotomy. I want to see Korean Californian food. I want to see Korean Charleston food. I want to see Korean Michigan food. And we really try to like live by that, be specific to us. And then that's somehow more universal to other people. Sam, I see you nodding a lot to that. Do you have anything to add? I mean, it really resonates. A lot of people have their own definitions of authentic, and really none of them are actually true to it. You know, Authentic is cooking from the heart. Authentic is cooking what you know. And culturally, I might know something different from another person in a different region of Sri Lanka or even in a different region of the South. But that said, you know, we are here to tell a story. And nine times out of ten, we end up with this yoke of, of representation that is thrust upon us in a way. And I think, you know, we've all done an excellent job of trying to rise to the occasion of that. But ultimately, we just want to be, you know, cooking food and enjoying food and sharing flavors. 
And I'm curious, you know, given that we're talking about street food, is that an area where there's room for more creativity and experimentation? Is that an area that you're excited about? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it's an opportunity, especially with COVID, because people are spending time outside and, you know, they want to have more open air venues. Outdoor street food is just, it's an experience. And so if you can bring another culture into your cultural experience, that's a, that's a win. And you have a food truck, you have a pop-up. How has that flexibility during the pandemic been <laughs> beneficial to you? How has it, it looked? Uh, I watched every single booking uh, in my calendar for 2020 go away in one day. It was terrifying. Um, but for some reason, it's, I've been able to persevere. I worked a lot with relief. But it's amazing that now that things are coming back, People are starting to reach out to the people who are mobile, who are doing these new ideas, because I think that there is a craving for something different, for a different face to the industry, for a different feeling. And I notice that my peers, you know, they lead with positivity, they lead with integrity, they lead with excellent food. And if we can all bring that to the table, I think, you know, seems pretty bright ahead, right? <laughs> it's very optimistic. What about you? Well, I actually, it, it's funny because when the pandemic hit, a lot of the restaurants we saw closed down. However, the food trucks became the go-to place for food um, just because of the laws that regulate it, it were differed. Um, so I saw kind of like a little bit of a... I was super like scared at first. I didn't know what to expect. Um, a lot of things changed, but at the same time, I did see a lot of... A lot of neighborhoods started booming because of the food trucks, and a lot of the neighborhoods now are still continuing those events that were started because of the pandemic. So it started a whole different area of, um, I guess, just business for food trucks overall. And it's continued and it hasn't stopped. Um, and I've seen, I think, in the neighborhoods, you see a community of people that come together. And it's just really cool to be a part of that um, and just travel around and meet different people. So definitely. And what about you with a permanent location? You know, how have you evolved during the pandemic? Well, we had to really diversify what we do beyond just indoor dining. And that actually has been a little bit of a silver lining. Like I started as a pop-up and a food cart. And now it's a joy to like host our up-and-coming entrepreneurs in the area. And the creativity they bring is really inspiring. So we've hosted established chefs like Saffron Dutois from Detroit and that's a, a Moroccan food but we have a lot of things in common and how we approach food or we uh, hosted Barra Bakes who's doing bakery stuff we hosted Basil Babes who's doing like dumplings and and it's it's really nice to like work with the new folks and then provide like a outlet for them when they do not have brick and mortar so in some ways it's uh, stroked my creativity in a different way than if I were just in my business in four walls definitely and creating new you know sources of community in the food industry in your area as well. absolutely awesome um, and I mean what has been a comfort to you all during this time what do you feed yourselves when you are in need of some comfort I mean, I think I think you guys probably have the same problem. We don't typically cook for don't ourselves. Cook for yourself. <laughs> um, no, nine times never. out of ten, it's like me eating something quick over the trash can at two o'clock in the morning. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But since since uh, everything has slowed down a bit, I have really been leaning on like mixed up rice bowls because that's the comfort food of my childhood. You know, my, my mother would make me these like little combined rice balls as I was growing up. And now I just recreate those flavors in a bowl and it feels like a hug in a bowl. And so that's something that it's at least some solace when everything feels weird. What is comfort food for you guys now or during from childhood? I mean, my mom cooked a lot of American food um, growing up, so I find comfort in that. I also find, um, I lit, like I said, um, I worked right in midtown Manhattan, so I worked right next to K-Town, which was kind of a good and a bad thing. Um, so I would, off, I would go to do Korean barbecue a lot with my friends, um, so I find a lot of comfort in that. But yeah, I, I agree with her as well. It's kind of like I eat very late usually, fast, um, and I, I usually don't cook for myself that much. <laughs> I'm going to echo <laughs> these two chefs and say that um, I rarely cook for myself. I do bring uh, kimchi from the restaurant because we make that from scratch. And if you're Korean and you have some rice and kimchi, you're pretty good. Yeah. And so my go-to meal during the pandemic and actually even before has been uh, toasted seaweed, kim, that's seasoned, and rice and kimchi from the restaurant and canned tuna. I do have self-respect <laughs> as a chef, so I do Ortiz tuna, which is delicious, but it's canned tuna nonetheless. And and between the rice, the seaweed, and the kimchi, it just like hits the spot. It's like Amazing. simple pleasures. <laughs> I think what chefs eat behind the scenes, though, is a little bit of insight. It's like, what can I do to comfort myself on a night when I have no time to? Warriors, very good pantry warriors. Yes, yes. <laughs> rely on your pantry. So just to wrap us up, what are you all looking forward to at the festival? Eating, doing, people are I mean, I'm, I'm going to probably find a way to leave my station so I can get food from these two by far. Um, I love being around people. I mean, it's been two years since we've been able to do anything like this. And getting to see everybody again, getting to meet some people. You know, Jihei and I were on a James Beard thing together virtually. We've known each other for a year and a half. We've never met in person until this week. And so we are cultivating and creating relationships, and I think that's the most important thing about these for me. I mean, yeah, definitely a lot of the same things that were just said. I Just meeting new people, creating, you know, relationships with other people and cultivating just, you know, people are brought together with food and drinks, and I'm just looking forward to meeting as many new people as I can and trying new things. I think, yeah, definitely the community. Um, yeah, Sam and I known each other for almost two years, but it's the first time I'm meeting her in person. And I've met folks from D.C. and I saw Paolo again. And, and we're immediately already like offering to help each other for each other's event and just giving hugs out in the open. That's just been wonderful. I mean, we're all a very motley crew of a family but it is a very strong family vibe especially among the up-and-comers because we're all going through this together you know it's it's a very strange road it there's no guidebook for this especially for an immigrant perspective there isn't a guidebook we don't have you know any sort of map we have to stand on the shoulders of some titans on the way but as long as we're all together we somehow will figure it out who are your titans who are your titans whose shoulders you stand on? <laughs> you said you stand on the shoulders of titans. Oh, titans. Who is that for My you? titans. I thought you said tight ends, and I'm, I'm like, sorry. we're talking about football? I, I can talk about football. Some kitchen humor. 
Um, Manit Shohan, for sure. Uh, Manit has been my mentor for years. Um, I adore her. I rely on Edward Lee a lot. I rely on Christina Tosi a lot. Um, I have been very fortunate to have a lot of amazing people be kind to me locally. Wita Michael has been indispensable. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Anything else you all want to add before we close out? Thank you for bringing us together. Yeah, thank you so much. I enjoy being surrounded by awesome ladies. So thank Thank you. you all for listening to HRN's live coverage of Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm Dylan Hoyer. We are grateful to the festival for having HRN back in the Culinary Village for the sixth year running. You can listen to all of our coverage on our podcast, Heritage Radio Network On Tour. Find it on heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter, Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.